press the bell icon on YouTube and don't miss another update. Namaste viewers, welcome to Jaipur Dialogue USA. Today we are going to talk about the global hate against Hindus. Why does this topic come up uh, so frequently that we are now need to talk about it and address the issue? To, to discuss this matter, I have today great pleasure in welcoming Dr. Praveen Sinha, who is the founder of Indian Americans of Irvine and Orange County, and he is a university professor there. And uh, the second gentleman is for the first time on Jaipur Dialogue, Mr. Utsav Chakravarti. Uh, introducing Utsavji is he's an executive director of Hindu Pact. Uh, he's an architect by profession and has been presenting the case of Hindu and other subaltern communities to thought leaders in Washington, D.C. for more than 18 years. In addition, he is an astute observer of geopolitical trends inside the Washington Beltway, and his works have been presented to the lawmakers at Capitol Hill and to representatives of the Human Rights Commission at the United Nations. So welcome to both of you. Let's dive in straight away. I saw three particular news items, including two today. One was uh, one was an article written by Nasiruddin Shah, the actor who has termed Prime Minister Modi's tenure as the acid rain. He uses this phrase, acid rain. He's brought the acid rain in India of Hindutva. The second one is by Naitri Derasari, writes an, write an, writes an article in The Wire, Don't Call Me a Hindu. And the third one was uh, the absurd claim by a notorious India hater, Varalman. And he was quoted by an equally despicable Hindu Indian by name Ashok Swine, who says, Hindu right-wing diaspora promotes it. By the way, important thing, Hindu right-wing diaspora promotes Hindu majoritarianism in India, caste discrimination, and human slavery. How absurd are these statements? And I'm very sure that both of you, I'm pretty sure, vehemently disagree with the enunciation of these thought processes in a time when India is center stage on the global economy, global politics. So I would suspect, like Utsavji mentioned to me, that Hindu hatred has become a mainstream item in America. Utsavji, go ahead. Tell us why do you feel it is a mainstream thing? And what is it? What is it about us benign, peace-loving, the most, you know, harmless community in the world, immigrant community in the world, to be blamed that American in the Hindu diaspora promotes Hindu majoritarianism, caste, and whatever else. What's up? So there are three things going on here, and I want to highlight all three things. Uh, number one, after many generations of uh, literal enslavement and colonization, after many decades of uh, complete uh, a lack of self-reliance, Hindus and India both are seeing a resurgence at the global platform. It's a civilizational resurgence. It is for the first time in many centuries that a grand doctrine is forming amongst the 1.3 billion Hindus uh, uh, that is that are around the world. It's beginning to form. I'm not saying that it's there, but a grand doctrine is forming. So that is not likable to most people around the world. Uh, people who are in the competing forms of civilizational doctrines, people who have been hegemonic, both geopolitically and theologically, none of these things are acceptable to them. They don't want 1.3 billion people to carve a space for themselves as a civilization and almost uh, uh, becoming an immortal civilization because it's a continuation of thousands of years of uh, civilizational memory. Uh, so that is a one, the first problem. The second problem is that in countries like America and in many other Western countries, where there are uh, democratic setups, there are uh, uh, semblances of equal opportunities, the Hindu diaspora community over the last many decades has carved a space for itself fairly enough through through competition, through hard work, through uh, through their uh, uh, through their exposure to knowledge, 
and bring in the rest of the society's exposure to knowledge. So these things have worked in the favor of Hindu communities in the diaspora. And they have seen success. They have seen economic success and they have seen a success of branding. You know, people used to be, people like Indians or Hindus because they are harmless, as you pointed out, Vibhutiji. So that also creates a problem for competing uh, other uh, entities who don't like this to happen. So that's the second issue. And the third issue is a continuous, continuous theologically driven uh, hatred for anything that is Hindu. That has been there over the past thousand plus years. Uh, it manifested in itself in invasions. It manifested in self, itself in colonization. And it manifests itself today in efforts that are aimed at breaking India and aimed at uh, you know conversion, aimed at uh, uh, slander, and aimed at uh, you know Hinduphobia in the public square as well as in campuses around America. So all of these three things combined to create a theological, economic, and geopolitical pressure on the Hindu community globally, and we are seeing manifestations of that. You know, as you mentioned. Thank you. Uh, just to just to come back to Praveenji on this subject matter, but before that, I wanted to request everybody to like, subscribe, press the bell icon, and share the conversation that we are having on Jaipur Dialogue USA. It's a new channel, uh, following the Jaipur Dialogue India's uh, footsteps, because we want to change our narrative and create a new narrative. So, Praveenji, you had mentioned to me once upon a time, not long ago, that somewhere along the line. India remains an unfinished business. Yesterday, I had tweeted this element too, and I got enormous serious responses from people who commented. More than 974 people liked the message, liked the thought, and more than 150 people offered their opinions. Why? The hate against Hindus. And one of the things also came about was the fact that we are an unfinished business. It was very interesting to see because you had talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Your thoughts, why Why is India an, an uh, uh, unfinished business? And what is it about India that has survived the onslaughts, the barbarism of the invading cultures, traditions, and uh, you know political setups? We have survived and we are surviving. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I I stand behind that statement. India is an unfinished business of a lot of forces, and I think Utsav sort of alluded to them. And you can see the traces of that uh, or evidence for that if you go back since partition and even before. How our history was written, it was primarily written as if there was no, no Hindu Rashtra or uh, Hindu grand uh, uh, empires before. It's literally the whole history started with Mughals. And a little bit after that, British as and nothing else was there. That's what was taught in the textbook. So if you go back, the evidence of India being unfinished businesses is, is there all along. If you read about the discussions during partition time, there's a grab. The, if you listen to the speeches of Jinnah, he really had a grand plan and he was content with what he had. That if I get my land, I will take care of the rest later. So, and if you look at the role of Christian missionaries after that, you realize that they were working silently and they knew what their agenda was. The only thing is that we were uneducated, miseducated, uh, misdirected, and now that awareness is coming in. So, Ustav is absolutely right about the first part, that with this information age, more and more people are learning about it. Every day, literally, I'm telling you honestly, I at this age, I'm learning new things and I tell myself, no, this is not right. And then I dig more, dig more, and I say, it is right. I mean, it's just like unbelievable amount of information that was hidden from us, primarily with the purpose of making sure that Hindus basically hate their religion, do not think positively about themselves, glorify other religions, so that the Hindu identity never develops. I always take an example of the movie Divar, in which there's a famous dialogue, famous incident, Amitabh Bachchan was a criminal who was killed in the end, and they did very thing in, when he was young on his hand. They tattooed Mera Baap Chor Hai. Literally, that's how I felt has happened to Indians when we were growing up. We were basically told our civilization did not exist. We were nobody. Literally, everything is that happened good to India was British's contribution. So that even if we don't 
you know, if you, even if you don't change right now, over time we will become, and that's why you see a lot of Indians are totally uh, colonized. I think Rajiv Malhotra has used the word coolies. And you see plenty of Indian coolies in this country. There's no shortage. I spent some time talking to them and I quickly find that this is another coolie. You know, literally ready to, to get rid of their civilizational values and quick to adopt that, you know, that whatever is happening in the West is all good and right. Not understanding historically how we fixed our problems compared to what the Western world has done. No understanding of the Western history. No understanding of Indian history. Go with the flow. Whatever sells, we'll do it. So I, I agree with that statement that India is an unfinished business. And that is why the resistance that is coming from Hindus right now is being forcefully met by those, those same powers who see that as an unfinished business. Whether you look inside India, whether you look inside in the US or you look anywhere in the world, the, the powers that are behind, uh, you know, this, the completing the finished business in India are very, very active. And that's why you see so much unrest in India. I'll talk about one thing more. I think we need to be very careful about this hatred is likely going to increase significantly in the US. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think we need to be very, very careful. We need to understand what we are again up against and how our actions will shape how the others will behave towards us. So I'll stop here at this time. Okay. Thank you. Uh, coming to you, Utsavji, you know, you are you are heading Hindu Pact, uh, essentially, you know, trying to set right the Hindu narrative. Now, when we hear these kind of, uh, this is the time when Prime Minister Modi has definitely increased the presence of Hindus, Indians, and he has created an aura, a factual aura of restoring the faith. How do you find, how do you react to this insidious attack by Nasruddin Shah, who is a tin pot actor, I would put it that in that category, who is who, who calls it an acid rain? You know, his his coming as if he's bringing the acid rain. What is this so so very critical? Why? What must the Indian diaspora do? And then you have people who peddle a narrative that the Indian diaspora is doing Hindu majoritarianism. How will Hindu pact respond to that? How must Hindus all over the world respond to that? That's a challenge. Yes. And thank you for asking that, uh, Vibhutiji. The, the first thing that we have to understand is to look behind the Nasiruddin Shahs and identify and expose those who are managing the narrative that Nasiruddin Shah is spouting out. Nasiruddin Shah is just the mouthpiece. There are many, many other influencers, I'm putting that in air quotes, uh, mouthpieces like Nasiruddin Shah. For example, you mentioned the name of C.J. Verleman. If you just look back at what C.J. Verleman was doing five years ago, eight years ago, you will understand that he's, he's not just focused on India because he wants to talk about India or he has read something about India or he feels something about India. He's a professional disinformation warfare specialist. In 2014, C.J. Verleman was embedded with Jabhat al-Nusra, which is an Al-Qaeda front in Syria. He was fighting with the modern version of Al-Qaeda, the post-Osama bin Laden version of Al-Qaeda in Idlib, in Syria, and spouting disinformation on behalf of Muslim Brotherhood. So, so you know, you fast forward eight years, C.J. Verleman is doing the same thing at a different place, in a different form, but for the same client. So th this is just one example I want to give. And I, I specifically named C.J. Verleman because I have the evidence from all those times to show to the public that he is a Muslim Brotherhood spokesperson who is on the edge of working intersectionally with even terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda. So whatever C.J. Verleman says about Hindus in America, you have to look at it through that lens. And then comes the next layer, which is the Nasiruddin Shahs and the Ashok Swines. They are the spreader of misinformation because, you know, I can expose C.J. Verleman just like I did. But it is hard to show Nasiruddin Shah in the same light. So this is where the disinformation warfare takes a more formal human face that people can identify with. 
So we need to expose this whole nexus of disinformation. We need to expose the people behind this disinformation and why it is coming. Once you deconstruct this, an average person in America who has a semblance of fairness, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, somebody who is a partner of, uh, you know, swine, Ashok Swine will agree with us. But at least the average man on the street, once he sees this deconstruction of the elements working against Hindus, they will see something and they will understand what is going on. And that is what Hindu Pact aims to do. We have been doing that through formal dissemination of information. And the more we succeed in spreading it out to the average person on the street, the more successful we will be in defending the Hindu perspective. The challenge is that we are up against uh, you know, media outlets like Washington Post and New York Times. And that's where, that's where we have to deal with the uh, disinformation in a more professional way. You use the word disinformation and President Biden is setting up a disinformation department headed by a very suspect person, be that as it may. Correct. Disinformation is part of uh, mind warfare. That's what is going on. The question arises, are we ready now, knowing what we know, to face that? Pravinji, you had mentioned to me, uh, mentioned about colonization of Indian mind. The colonial vulnerabilities still exist. And I quote Churchill here, who said that while Hindus el- Hindu elaborates his arguments, Muslim sharpens his sword. So whose rules of the game are we playing here? Which game are we playing? Praveenji, you're short on that. Yeah, let me let me come back to the point that I think it was mentioning, and I'll come to that in a second with you. <clears throat> who are the forces behind it? Uh, there, uh, I remember seeing a declassified document of CIA at one time and learning from people who had written commentaries on that. There were a fairly large number of people in India who were on CIA payroll, very prominent people. So over time, and KGBs has been very active in India also through the communist network. And so have the Chinese over time. India was a free-for-all country where China, Russia, USA, and for that matter, any country with any interest can have deep roots, find instruments of misinformation, and create a narrative that masses will believe. Indians is a very innocent society for a very, very long time. We were trusting people. We are not people who looked at outsiders with hatred or dislike or questioned them. We accepted everyone, from Parsis to Baha'is to Muslims. Anybody who came, we welcomed them. But now people are over time realizing. So coming back to this, you know, Nasiruddin Shah and all that, I think Rajiv Malhotra has written a book about some of these Christian missionaries and how some of these organizations, which look like benign Indian organizations, have been really funded from external sources. I know Modiji has put a lot of these NGOs out of business who were highly questionable for the right reason. But that is also one of the big reasons you see all this misinformation starting. People who are able to freely do things in India without any problem are finding it hard to conduct that nefarious business at this time. So if you have a business with and somebody tries to decrease your revenue or cut your revenue stream or go after your profit motive, you will not be happy. These people are very unhappy. So we have to get grip of this, that these people who are systematically being pointed out, identified, and put out of business uh, is going to lead to a lot of commotion. These people had a lot of power. Luti and Delhi was very powerful. Now they find that the power is all gone. You might have seen article after article, people being removed from the uh, prime property in Delhi that they were living in for who knows 20, 30 years. So the power is changing. I think there's a famous dialogue in this movie, uh, The Kashmir Files. The government can change. We still control the system. With with this second term of Modi, that system is being changed. And that's where you're seeing the biggest commotion coming from. So I'm guaranteeing that this will increase. Violence will also increase in India. These people are not going to sit quietly. They will do anything and everything. And it is over time that I've recognized that how BJP government has been so restrained for a reason. They're creating a narrative 
of belligerence, of uh, dominating uh, a party which believes in Hindu superiority. And it's like, you know, if somebody tells you that you are a crook and keep on attacking you someday, you might respond. And they're waiting for that to happen. I guarantee that before 2024 election, there will be a major riot in India. I can absolutely guarantee that. I'm willing to wager money on that because these people are not going to let it go. They have created a narrative. If that narrative does not come to fruition, they look like propagandists. They will make sure it happens. Shaheen Bagh, Farmers Movement, those are all effort in that direction, which through the restraint of the central government did not come out to be the way they wanted, despite what they did. It, so I think we need to bring these alternate reality, not alternate reality, those reality facts up. As, as Otsa was saying, once the facts come out, people understand. I <clears throat> tend to, I recommend everyone to watch this movie um, the on um, Ukraine burning. It is, it is made by Oliver Stone, a very, very highly repeated award-winning, Academy Award-winning producer-director. He has made a movie which has been banned on YouTube. It's available on Rumble. Please watch it. You will get a sense where Ukraine starts is not a benign thing. It was worked with the help of CIA for a very long time. And you, Ukraine has become what it is, not because of uh, Russia trying to be <clears throat> just, you know, trying to take over a tiny country next to it. No, there's a lot more to it. And that's why India has a very restrained position on that. So uh, to make the long story short, I think there are a lot of forces acting within India whose lifeline has been cut. And these forces are working very vehemently to, to undo the, the changes that have come in the last eight years. They don't see any hope in front of them. And that makes them more dangerous. If you see the hope, it's like you know, sinking ship. You will, in your last attempt to revival, you'll do anything. And I think that's what Congress Party is doing. If you look at the actions of Rahul Gandhi and other Congress members, you sometimes wonder whether they are Indians or not. Or these are just basically from some other country who are out to destabilize the country. So these factors are there. And we should all identify why they're coming from, why they're doing what they're doing. And unfortunately, we have failed to do that very well. And maybe it will require some more work because it's not, it's easy to accuse, difficult to establish. And I think that's what we are fighting for at this time. So I will, uh, let me see. Yeah, I will not take too much time at this time, but uh, I will stop at that. I think we need to understand that these forces against India are coordinated and they are not random at this time. But I'd like to come back to one more issue, maybe now or maybe later, is about what do we do or how we assess the environment in this country, USA, where we all live, and how the, the uh, Hindu phobia is spreading here and where we expect this to go in the, in the, in the months and years to come. Because I think that's my bigger concern. Uh, so far, whatever they have done has done damage. I would say significant damage, but it's salvageable. But if we do not correct our actions at this time, we may have more problems in the days to come within this country, which is even more troubling to me. That's, that's, that's very true because we live here. We All three of us are in the United States and we are looking at the concerted attack by vested groups of people in the media using dangerous words and spreading it. So Utsavji, Hindu Pact has a big task on hand because media is again very important. You talked about that. Any messaging that happens has to be carried forward through a media. YouTube can stop us tomorrow based on supposed Islamophobia thing that we are talking about. But we are trying to articulate a point of view. Why us? Why this group of people? Why is our success our cause of being, uh, you know, is, is our success uh, is our success a cause of our downfall? Or... Uh, being centered as an attack. This is very important. So how does the media narrative happen? How will Hindu Pact manage that narrative with the Washington Post, New York Times, who are on an incessant barrage of, of attacks on things Hindu, things India, as if we are the real cause of all evil around the world today? That's a very good question, Vibhutiji, and the, and the onus lies on us. And what one of the things, as I said, we are doing with Hindu Pact is to build uh, 
partnerships with those who are willing to understand our point of view. That's the first part we have to do. And more importantly, to build strong understanding within our own community. If our community doesn't come out and understand what the issues are, then we will not be able to address the, the, the disinformation that's out there. So, you know, just to give you an example, when, when the Ilhan Omar Islamophobia bill was passed by the House and it up reached the Senate, most Hindu organizations in America were afraid to talk about it because, you know, inadvertently through the, the language of what the Islamophobia bill had passed in the House, the Jewish American community was accommodated because there was a special language included so that the, they cannot, the Jewish American community as well as Israeli community in Israel won't be able to uh, get targeted by it. So our community was very hesitant to come out and speak against it, knowing fully well that, that that Islamophobia bill, if it passes the Senate, would be targeting Hindus around the world, would be targeting brave voices within Islamic countries who stand against radical Islamism and stand in favor of the rights of the women and LGBTQ community. Nobody came up. We took a position. We took a position and went out against it, started a campaign, spoke to senators, and we had very good inputs. I mean, I won't name the senators' offices, but some of them actually told us in meetings that you gave us a whole new perspective. We didn't even realize that an LGBTQ activist in an Islamic country can be targeted using this bill. And I, I was like, why didn't you figure this out? Uh, so there is a lack of information here. And, and we realized that because of that, we will get targeted. I mean, you know, we just had a gala, our, our fundraiser gala last Monday, uh, last Sunday. And uh, there were four speakers. And all four of those speakers were publicly targeted, including a Muslim-American speaker. Uh, she was publicly targeted. Her Facebook was being targeted because she just dared to stand with us and speak. She didn't say anything against anybody, but she was just coming on our platform and talking about being herself. So that is the level of hatred that we are facing, and we will continue to face that. We know that. Our response is, we speak on facts. Whatever we do, we back it up with honest, factual information. In terms of dissemination, that's where we face the challenge. Our challenge is that our information has to reach the maximum number of people and it has to be crowdsourcing because without crowdsourcing, we are up against organized, well-funded, billion-dollar conglomerates that have taken a disinformation line and we have to fight up against them. So my honest admission is, how do we reach out to the millions? Through crowdsourcing. Work with us, work with, and it works. Trust me, there are movements around the world that have stood up to organized, well-funded, billion-dollar disinformation campaigns and have won. So we can also do it, and that's what Hindu Pact is looking for. Wonderful. Uh, glad that I, I was there at the Hindu <clears throat> Pact Gala, so you know, I was a mute witness, uh, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I particularly liked the way Vivek Ramaswamy presented the four points that he did. You know, so that was very, very powerful, and I would publicly request you to introduce me to Vivek so that we, we can have more conversation on wokeism, which book he's there on Fox Channel. He's very popular, very big. And I would want him to come to reach out to the Indian audiences as well. Because through our channel with uh, more than 600,000 subscribers on Jaipur Dialogue and over 12,000 here, uh, we can definitely talk about it more. But I will pick up a few comments made by one of Rishi Srivastava. He said, and this is directed to you, Praveen, is that why are Indian diaspora so ignorant and self-centered about growing anti-Hindu and they vote for Pramila Jaipal or Rokhana, who are pro-Islamists and funded by Pakistani businessmen? This is this is something which is really bothersome because these people are totally anti-Hindu, anti-India because of hatred for Modi or the fact they belong to the category of Nasiruddin Shah who believe that he is bringing acid rain. Your thoughts on that? How do we address them? How do we contest that part of it? <clears throat> um, I will say one thing is that, uh, and it's going to be very controversial. A lot of people will not like it, but I'll say it anyway. <clears throat> if you look at the immigration of Indians to USA, it is a selective, selective absorption. The people who came here for opportunities and for financial well-being, which is absolutely fine. But for some, it has gone way beyond that. 
that uh, the actions that they take within USA, their career, their business well-being is more important than the truth or what happens to India. Rokhanna, who claims to be a Hindu, is sold to a, he's a member of the Pakistan Pact. You know, Pakistan uh, uh, lobby, in Pakistan caucus. Yes. Of all the people in the Congress, he was the loudest critic of India on Ukraine position. He was a, he became a laughing stock. Actually, I even tweeted on that. But it is because it sells. He's a congressman. He needs money. He gets funding. And that is the unfortunate story of a lot of Indians in this country, that they sell themselves. If it is going to work for them, it is in their financial best interest. They are fools who will fight for India. Let them fight. I care for my own bottom line. So the incentive alignment is not there. The incentives are aligned to act anti-India. And those billion-dollar lobbies that was mentioned about are very good at exploiting it. They will reach out to Indian community. And they will work out in a way that they will be on their side. And I think Pramila Jaipal uh, and Jiro Khanna and there are a few others are pretty much prime examples of that. They get funding from these sources. So that's that's a short answer to that. But I want to come back to one quick thing about what Utsav said. <clears throat> I slightly disagree with you on that. When the Islamophobia bill came, um, people were, you know, masses were concerned. We, I read the whole bill, and after reading the bill, I even commented and wrote on that. It was geared mostly towards India and China. It was actually India more than anything else. First country identified in the bill was India. Growing fake narrative of uh, Islamophobia in India. And, of course, China, China doesn't give a damn about anything. They do what they want to do. They have got full support from uh, you know all these groups. So it was pretty much targeted towards India. And Utsav is right on the sense that our Hindu groups shied away. They did not say, no, this is wrong. They did not, they, they were more concerned about appearing Islamophobic rather than pointing out that this is Hinduphobic. And so I think uh, masses are learning about it. There's a lot of frustration in the US about Hindu interests not being fully represented. I know Hindu Pact is doing a lot of things. But the only thing I would say is let Hindu Pack grow. We need more organizations with more money to be able to do things effectively. What we are is a very small set of warriors in front of a very large army. And there's no way we will win unless we find a smart way to fight. And uh, information dissemination is a very big part of it. So, uh, you know, that, that is my, my point on what you mentioned earlier. But let me talk to Vivek Ram, Ramaswamy question about wokeism. And I, I'm going to take a little bit of time on this. So let me bear with me a little bit. In the last two years, a tsunami of changes have taken place in this country, which have exposed a lot of things. And there is a lot of discontent with the way country stands at this time. I think the precipitating event was the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which led to riots all over the country. You all may remember the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And soon after that, so that was, I would say, the social part of it, the social turbulence. And the second was COVID, which basically had economic implications as well. <clears throat> These two big events have led to a very, very drastic change in the American society in not one way, but in so many different ways. First and foremost, I don't know how many of you know that in a lot of cities, if you commit a crime which, which involves theft or robbery of under $1,000, is considered a non-violent misdemeanor. What does that mean? That means nothing will happen to you. There were so many Walgreens that were closed in San Francisco. Why? Because people will come and steal and take away things. The guards will not even approach them. I think about over 20 Walgreens or around that number, 17 to 20, somewhere in that number, which have closed. And this has spread all over. In a city where I live, which is Irvine, which was ranked as the safest city, we had a whole shopping complex to, that was robbed at three o'clock in the night. People came, broke all the stores, four stores, not all, four stores, and who knows how much money they got away with. So this is a very big change that is happening. 
there is a lot of resistance towards prosec you know prosec prosecuting these people because there is this whole concept of social justice that has come in and and i think right now we are seeing a very huge uh, economic change as well uh, you know the, the inflation is through the roof right now and there will be winners and losers income disparity will increase and you will find that there will be there'll be hunt for culprits in this whole process and my fear is i think that goes back to vivek's book that you were mentioning earlier indians are on the forefront of this woke war woke cultural war you look at uh, i'll give you one example of a person who will be the vijaya gade of twitter um she is one of the wokest people on uh, in the social media right now she was in charge of closing and suspending accounts she is the one who unilaterally made the decision to remove trump from twitter for good i did not know that and jack jack dorsey came on joe rogan show and said it was her decision she makes all these decisions i don't make any decisions i think vivek had pointed out these things if you go back and look at the culture that is happening in all these companies like microsoft google there is extreme wokeism new york times for that matter a lot of the and indians are on the forefront you don't see chinese fighting for it you don't see koreans fighting for it but our indian next generation is on the forefront of this cultural war and there be backlash against it because this cultural war is is leading to outcomes that will lead to a lot of discontent in the society uh twitter has been taken over by elon musk all these people parag gupta and parag agarwal and uh, vijayagar they'll be all be fired i my biggest fear that if he reveals those files you'll see what the thinking was these people do not represent us indians these are woke these are ultra leftist brainwashed individuals but they will be the one who will be representing us and when those things become more public there'll be backlash against indians and sometimes in a way that we don't like i think the amy wax interview that you saw on tucker carlson pointed out to that a lot of people are very upset about it or she called indians from shithole country yeah those were all despicable things trump said the same thing about hispanics and mexicans guess what happened hispanics were smart enough to understand that what he said was not wrong trump got more vote from hispanics in 2020 than he got in 2016 we indians are jumping at amy wax and giving her all kind of words that we want to give we did not listen to what she said carefully she is going to we we will be questioned if we come here to this country and tell them that the whites are the most despicable people they have done all kind of heinous things and uh, we need to do this and we need to do that we do not we do not like when we will not like if tatas come to india be highly successful and turn around and say hindus are the most despicable people we will not like it but this is exactly what our diaspora is doing we are taking extreme woke positions we need to understand that we are we have very limited understanding of what happened in the us the tension racial tension between whites and african americans in this country is very old very deep and it has no sim, not a not even 5 10% resemblance to what happened in india under the caste system the oppression of african american was horrible in this country horrible we never had anything like that in india but those analogies are being made and they will be made more and more if we do not put our acts together we have a very very woke crowd in this country and we have let them represent us if you look at these woke voices in congress they're all troublemakers we need to have more conservative hindus go and represent us just exactly vibhuti like the way you are planning to run as a republican and a conservative hindu and go and represent us in the new york state assembly I really wish you good luck i hope there are more people like you who come out and represent us we don't want to be represented by these woke individuals who represent us in absolutely the way we do not which is the wrong way to represent us
Thank you. Thank you. This this brings me to me brings me a very interesting thought process. You made a very very important observation, Pravin. They're saying that these woke Hindus, successful woke Hindus, who have made their dollars right here in this environment, they are acting woke, which doesn't reflect our point of view, majority point of view. The issue here is, can we say that they are not Hindus? Just like Islamic Muslims say that the Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and all these people don't reflect true Islam. It's time for us to create a new narrative for that. And this is very important. Majority of the time, and this is one of the classic challenges most of the Hindu organizations face, very few Hindus are coming forward to con commit funding for these activities. One of the classic challenges Hindus face is that we don't support each other. We are so we are so independent seekers that we forget the collective element that is required at this point in time. So I'm coming back to this element, which makes us, you know, the historical attack and everything else makes us, gives us a sense of inferiority complex, historical. That's one part. Inferiority complex, apologetic. Oh, we are not like them or we want to be like them, you know, things like that. How do, how do we contest that element using media and our power, our intellectual heft and our success that is predominant? Everybody respects. Let me not use the word respect. Everybody likes our success. But do we need to do more? Where, where will the collective element come together for us that we are facing an existential threat? If if I may if I may say something yes yes, yes I'm I'm, I'm uh, this, this, this I'm asking you first on this okay thank you uh, so so you, that's a very good point you made we do not but you know the the whole problem that you pointed out you pointed out two problems here the problem of not knowing enough about yourself and leading you to be trying to match up to somebody else's expectations through their lens. That, that's what actually Dr. Praveen was talking about. The generation, you know, that, you know, the next generation of successful Hindu Americans who are CEOs and CTOs of billion dollar companies, and they may have made success in front of their, uh, you know, the in front of the people who are sh shareholders in the company through their skills, through their intellect, through their brains. But they lacked, they always lacked the education to be included in the grand narrative of being a Hindu. They were always looking to find, except, trust me, they are ex very good people. They are wonderfully successful people in terms of their skill sets. And that's why they are where they are. But skill sets don't make strategy. Skill sets lead you to operational success. To I'm using war uh, you know, terminologies here. A skilled warrior will be tactically and operationally successful but may not be able to win the war because he will never fit into the strategic narratives. You have to have somebody who provides that grand strategic narrative. And that's where we are lacking. We may have Vijaya Gadde do whatever she's doing, but she, it's not her fault. She never had that grand narrative where she could be herself a proud Hindu. So she's trying to, right now being woke is popular. So she's being woke. Tomorrow something else will be popular and she will be that. And somebody else will be in that place doing exactly somebody else's job. So, so th that is the bigger issue that we have to deal with. And we as Hindus have been working towards it. In India, it is changing. As I started off by saying, there is beginning to be a grand narrative in India. Now, you can see that in India's foreign policy positions recently. Yes. Uh, the foreign minister of India could not have been more clearer in presenting that. Uh, and again, I, I'm move, I move back and forth between social and geopolitical uh, sure. context, but it is important for us to look at it that way. Coming back to America. We have to build the next generation of Hindu-Americans with a grand civilizational narrative. Then they will have the confidence to be themselves. Because mind you, even though right now we are liking something that is Republican, we like some things that uh, conservatives are doing, we don't like something that liberals are doing, and many and vice versa. There are Hindus who, who will disagree with us. But in the grand scheme of things, we ha have to be the people providing the narrative that we want to be out there. And once that happens, both Republicans and Democrats would come to us for being part of our grand narrative. And that is what I, I have to say this. For a long period of time, Jewish Americans didn't have that. 
but they eventually built it and to some extent they succeeded it might be eroding at this point of time because somebody else is actually building a grander narrative that they are not able to deal with and that's a different conversation of how muslim brotherhood works and all those things but to look back at us we have to form that grand narrative for the next generation of american hindus because the vivek ramaswamis are going to keep multiplying we will have younger and younger hindus born and brought up in this country becoming leaders becoming forces of uh, power and influence and it is important that they have it otherwise we'll have pramila jaypals and rokhannas that's a very important statement you made the grand narrative what must be pravin ji i'm coming to you with this question what must be india's and hindus grand narrative because most of us hindus don't even know our texts we don't even know what sanatan dharma applies for misapplication of our beautiful concept atithi devo bhava vasudeva kutumbakam is not carried forward is not even applied properly so if we are ourselves not aware of our own identity that's one of the questions that comes about that we by virtue of our being who we are we are automatically secular we are automatically secular is the stamping of secularism made india a weak hindus weak can we survive without a hindu nation can we can we proudly say that uh, you know just as islamic republic and whatever is there can we survive in this atmosphere without calling ourselves as a proud hindu can we be a, a country of hindu nation or not politically wise politically foolish where will that identity development happen how must that happen okay um i'll start with the kabir das i think kabir das or rahim das dosa doha which i vaguely remember now i'll put my all my memory into place to try to recite it jaka guru andhra chela nira narant andhe vai peliye milke kup parant it simply <laughs> means which simply means that when your teacher guru is blind and you follow your guru who is absolutely blind what will happen you both end up in a dry well because he will lead you towards hell i think the point that utsav was raising earlier about how to educate these uh, this you know the people who will be taking prominent positions in in uh, american corporations and all that i think the problem is he's right on that absolutely people like vijay gadhe are totally illiterate they don't understand what their dharmic values are they did not know they do not know much about sanatan dharma because their parents don't know it and i think we are dealing with a third generation of totally illiterate hindus and i'm so glad and i think that is a good example that you gave us which i was wanted to talk, talk as well how india has maintained a very firm and a very justifiable position in the middle of this war in which both the parties try to pull them the war between ukraine and russia india has basically stood on moral grounds that we are against aggression but we are not going to basically jump into this Uh, one way or the other that will be a very long conversation to go through but so i think it there is a need for inculcating dharmic values most of the parents think that if we send them to uh, some hindu school in a temple the job is done frankly most people don't even in the temple don't know what to teach that the most they'll teach you uh, fragmented elements from gita and this and that and then they think you're done and the children come out as confused as they were when they went there they may remember few dohas like the way i mentioned but they really don't have a better sense of what hinduism is all about i mean we <clears throat> i can just point out few and i think maybe <clears throat> there is a need to develop curriculum and and have these things be more you know widely publicized i mean in, in our culture we believe in respect we don't believe in tolerance a concept that you hear very frequently we tolerate no we don't tolerate we respect you we respect you regardless of what you are it's the tolerance that they are aiming for is a result that they were highly highly intolerant and committed so much crime against the minorities in their country we never did that in india when i see the comparison of slavery or the treatment of blacks in usa with the treatment of dalits in india it's just like mind boggling it's totally totally mind boggling there is no parallel whatsoever 
So we need to talk about these things. Second is, in India, people, as per our dharmic values, we believe in responsibilities, not rights. You have to do the dharmic thing. You need to understand what your responsibilities in the society are, not simply, this is my right. We are seekers of truth. We are not basically one of those people who come up with a fake narrative or a cooked up narrative and everybody jumps to it. That is the reason our you know, CEOs, our you know, next generation is jumping to what is the next pad and trying to capitalize on it rather than understanding themselves what are the values that we, with which their dharma uh, teaches them and where they come from. They have zero idea. But I'm glad that the Modi government, BJP, Dr. Jayashankar, they are bringing out what Modi did during pandemic, what Indian government did during pandemic was a clear illustration. India gave out so much vaccine all over the world for free. When Bill Gates was talking about not giving anything to India, when millions of people were dying, Indians did the right thing. We felt it was our responsibility. just not a statement. We put our actions consistent with our belief. What is our belief system? What is Hindu Sanatan Dharma? What is that value system? Needs to be taught. But unfortunately, this generation which is coming out does not know, jumps at whatever is woke, capitalizes on it, and in the end, does a lot of harm to the Indian community overall. And that's my biggest concern at this time. How do we make sure that our next generation does not jump into these fads every time they happen and in the process do more damage for a short-term gain. That was there were two things that you brought out, Praveen, that was really close to my heart. Is I am always saying this, I've said so many times on the shows, every time I say, we must drive the narrative by asking and demanding and instituting the two words which are core to our belief system, respect and acceptance, instead of tolerance. You are absolutely right when you say that they have been so brutal. Their inquisitions and jihads between the Christians and Muslims have led to many more killings than so many tragedies put together. They were, that was brutal. Now they are talking about tolerance. And I'm saying, no, respect every individual for the way he or she is. That's the important part that we need to convey to the world. Our narrative, Hindu Pact, Hindu American Foundation, Kona, everybody must propagate this thought that respect and acceptance of humanity as is, is the key. The second part, which was also very important, and I made a note of that, that and I would want Utsav to talk about this one, is are our dharmic traditions, which inculcate a sense of responsibility, in direct, direct conflict with the hierarchical values of various dogmas. How are we going to fight that? How are we going to set that narrative? That's a very, very good question and a very uh, complex question at the same time because there has to be a, a big picture uh, response, which is a civilizational response. I want and to tell you this, this conversation is not for this hour alone. We will have, we need to have more conversations yes. of this kind and yes. more people must listen and at least share their thoughts. So go ahead, please. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a conversation in itself and it has to be dealt with at different scales right. and different contexts. Uh, and what would we would be, sh be very careful to do is not apply the same uh, solution to every context because that's recipe for disaster. So to, to pull back a little bit and say, how do we deal with dogmas? Because ours barely, uh, I mean, we have also produced dogmas, but the inherent nature of our dharmic systems rules the dogmas out and pushes them to the margin. Whereas the opposite happens in Abra many Abrahamic systems. They embrace dogmas because the inherent uh, net, uh, architecture of their systems embraces dogma. And it, it's easy to go to dogma. Rationality very quickly goes out of the door. So in that context, we have to, we have to actually identify the problem as it is, just like we did right now, and show the contrast. Unless people see the contrast, people will not know which, which is better or, or they won't even know what to compare with. So as the Hindu community, we have to show the com contrast between what dharmic values are, what dharmic architecture is versus 
the dogmatic architecture and dogmatic values. And that itself is a task that we have to propagate throughout the world so that there is an option for people to look at. And people with open minds will be thinking about both the options and not just one. That itself will open up a bigger conversation. And that bigger conversation can then be addressed locally. For example, in the American context, what is the role of Hindu American community? What has been the historical role of Hindu dharma in framing the minds of our founding fathers? You know, most American Hindus don't even know that in the beginning itself, when America was being founded, there were strong influences of our religious scriptures and our uh, theology on many of our found founding fathers. We don't know about it. We don't talk about it. That doesn't. That's why we don't have the confidence. That's why we want to be the Vijay Gaddes of the world. Want to be woke because they want to fit into somebody else's narrative. So that is the big starting point. Now every geographical location around the world needs a localized uh, presentation of our dharmic narrative, of our the of our dharmic architecture, and then we go from there. But in terms of dealing with the dogmas. We have to be stern and we have to strong. We have to be strong. You know, one of the points that I have seen many Hindus do present is that, oh, you know, we have always been, uh, being uh, weak. We never responded. We never, we never fight back. That is not true. That is not. Uh, Hindu civilization is the only civilization that has, despite it being bruised and broken and uh, controlled and colonized, we have survived. And there is a reason why we have survived. And we have to look into those reasons learn from them and apply them in modern context and see how we fight back against dogmas. I mean, for every uh, for every Hindu who failed to win against an Islamic uh, tsunami in northwestern India, there is a Bappa Rawal. There is a Lalita Ditya Muktipid who predicted, oh, the Abbasids are coming. Let's go and conquer, uh, uh, you know, Tashkent, which is what Lalita Ditya did. We never talk about them. We don't even discuss them. We, don't, we never discuss what Pulkeshin II did uh, in the Arabian Sea and how the you know the, the Umayyad Caliphate's navies were defeated before they could even reach the shores of India. So there are historical narratives that we have to learn and share and talk about and then we will be in a position to deal with the dogmas and in a, in a more compact and in a more uh, tangible manner. Thank you. Uh, there is a new acronym designed by somebody, his name is Amod. He puts the word swine and he says successful woke Indian elite. I think that's a very apt description of things to come about. So switching to the Could, next. Can I quickly just answer one part on this one? Though, okay, we have yeah. three minutes more to go. Okay. We will take okay. a few minutes I'll, extra. I, I, okay, I'll quickly finish. I think yeah. if you do not define yourself, others will define you. Yes. Yes. which is exactly what is happening right now. I'll just give two examples, one happening, one which might happen. If you look at the at the caste issue, which is becoming spreading all over like fire in this country right now, it's all based on misinformation, absolute misinformation. And guess what? They were so successful that a lot of prominent African-Americans <clears throat> have been sold the notion that the fight of Dalits is the same as the fight of African-Americans. When the fact of the matter is, there is not even a semblance of between the two of them. Literally, they are so different. Uh, and we need to bring this out, that what happened to you never happened in Indian society to anyone. How can somebody say? And we are talking about thousands of years it never happened when things were a lot more uh, uncivil and uh, 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 in this country or in the Western world. We did not, never did that. Second thing, I'll, I'll give a very simple example. We talk about LGBTQ persecution in this country. You know, it's very true. They have been under different parts of the world here. Nobody ever talks about how LGBTQ survived so well in India. And I'm telling you, if you don't talk about it, somebody will tell that story and will tell that story in the most heinous fashion and present a narrative that LGBTQ have been the most persecuted people in India. When the fact of the matter is those communities thrived in India. I was asking to one of my, my mother-in-law, actually, only some time back, how did the LGBTQ community come about? There's no, they live in their own world. In India, the LGBTQs live together. And they create a non-threatening environment for themselves. We need to talk about these things, how India has historically dealt with these things so successfully, which the Western world has done nothing but killed, killed, and killed.
So I think we need to be careful about bringing out our stories because if we don't do that, there are plenty of people who write the stories for us and then we'll be wondering what happened. Absolutely correct. This is I, I, I'm so happy that you made a statement that if we don't define ourselves, others create our own narrative. It's something I have been saying for the last so many years. So thank you, Praveen, for saying so. I want to thank you for referring to my candidature and I that uh, you know people like me should represent in the U.S. Uh, in a political system. Thank you very much. So I will seek all your support and uh, you know going forward in that matter. But in the last minute that we have here, I also wanted to touch upon where do we go from here? And I urge people, my, my urging is about on a couple of fronts. One of them is begin to demand reciprocity. It's very important. People use democratic principles to bludgeon us and we surrender. That's one thing which bothers me. That when people talk about the narrative that, oh, millions were killed, millions of Hindus were killed here, millions of Hindus were killed there. My question is, why the hell did we let it happen? That's one. And we still continue that part of it. Still, OAC makes the statement, it's not happening, going to happen anymore. I think Hindus are awakened to that fact. Number two is that we have ourselves not studied our own texts. We are not even aware of Bhagavad Gita. The lessons of Bhagavad Gita, Ramayana, Mahabharata, life lessons are right out there. You know, all our Devi Devtas are also carrying Shastra. And we became totally, you know, peace-loving and don't take up weapons at all. That's what is important for us to do. So give in 30 seconds, which is the beginning point that we must start our movement to survive and to prosper? What's of you first? I think the movement has started. I think the challenge is to spread to share and to educate and then succeed. And we will not stop that we just started. We are just going to continue to expand and continue to educate and then eventually succeed. The goal is to scale up and share as much as we can and deal with the disinformation as hard as we can. And that's exactly what we are trying to do. We cannot do it alone. The more people join, the better it is. But if people don't join, we still go on. Because that's how we have succeeded historically. Akla chalo re, ki khabar All right, Praveen, you thirty seconds for you now. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a beginning point. Where where do we take it off? That's all. That's all I want to know. Do where where, where do we go? For, what do we need to do? Yes, I think. Okay, I'll quick because the time is short. I'll say in USA we should ask this question: Who are the Indians representing us? That is the first question we should ask. And if we don't like it, we must change it. So I'll end the thing by simply saying, please support Vibhuti Jha for his bid for New York, <laughs> New York Assembly. No, I'm serious about that. I yes. think we need people like you to represent us. Just look at when you listen, when you ask anybody about Indian leaders, what names come to your mind? Sundar Pachai, you know, now Vijay Gade, uh, uh, Rokhanna, Pramila Jaipal. These are either totally misinformed, uneducated wokes, that's all they are, or politicians who are basically self-serving themselves. This has to come to an end. We have to bring out people who will represent us, our values. So I hope that there are more people who are listening, who will think about running for elections, and those who are in prominent positions in the industry will start to learn a little bit more about their culture before they start preaching to the rest of the world. Thank you. Thank you. As we end the program, I've been requesting the console that I wanted to make. I came across Robert Spencer putting out a tweet, and I wanted to give him credit for the quote. So Robert Spencer said that Hindus are threatened by jihadis mainstreaming of terrorism and left alliance must recall Krishna's advice to Arjun. Do not behave like a coward, Arjun, acting in this weak and faint-hearted way. Uh, instead, O oh mighty warrior, arise and stand firm in battle. The battle of all free people must face together, responding to lies with truth, no matter what the risk, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the cost, and standing for justice amid, amid the world's irrational embrace of hatred and injustice. That's a call. Thank you, Robert, for pointing that out, quoting Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, slope 3. 
the famous Clevium thing. So I want to say that thank you very much for being here today, both of you. Thank you, viewers, for watching us. Spread the message. Share, like. Even if you are seeing the video later on, spread it across the board because we are going to have this conversation more than once. Thank you very much. Happy Mother's Day, as we say it in America today. And as a friend of mine told me, a lady friend of mine told me, a colleague, she says, but for you stupid men, we won't be mothers too. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the classic example of we are all a family. With these happy words, happy, happy Mother's Day. Have a great happy weekend. Mother's Day. See you next Thank Sunday. Thank you. Pleasure and honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.